Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey, this is Stephen Lacey, Editor-in-Chief of Green Tech Media. Welcome to Suncast. Now let's talk energy and clean tech. This is Suncast. In every battle, there's a front line. On that front line are warriors whose courage and actions shape the outcome of the battle. The world is currently engaged in a literal power struggle, a battle in global energy as it evolves from fossil fuels to renewable energy. Suncast is a conversation with solar warriors on the front lines, building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. We learn their secrets to personal and professional growth, market development, and industry insights. And now, join solar industry veteran, Latin America fanatic, and your host, Nico Johnson. Hey, hey, welcome back, Solar Warriors. This is episode 38 of Suncast. As you just heard, I'm your host, Nico Johnson. Today, we're going to take a trip down memory lane to a time when names like Trina and Jinko Solar were yet unheard of in the solar industry. A time when the largest brands were BP, Conergy, and countless other mainly Western names you may or may not recognize today. When I joined Trina Solar back in 2011, I became aware of a legendary figure who had been responsible for building the sales team at Trina and who had subsequently moved on to another Chinese company. Well, that mythical figure is the eponymous Arturo Herrero. And if you've done solar in Latin America for any length of time, you've no doubt come across Arturo. At long last, we got a chance to sit down, he and I, I'm telling you, this guy has forgotten more things about growing a solar business than most of us have learned, so you'll want to stay tuned. We covered how Arturo climbed the ranks at BP Solar, pivoted from Nabisco and Unilever and sort of traditional mainstream product categories into the oil and gas industry and then the solar industry and how he ultimately was enticed to move to China for a fledgling solar panel startup. The contrast between growing Trina Solar's team, and then later moving over and repeating that whole process at Jinko Solar. Arturo and I touch on how he travels a ton and needs to prepare himself to get in the mindset of each new country when he's traveling. We talk about where he believes our next areas of innovation are, what's around the corner, and of course, what's hot, what's not, and so much more. Hey, as a heads up, if you're listening to this before July 13th, 2017, I'll be out in San Francisco at this year's InterSolar North America Conference. And I just love meeting Suncast listeners. I really do. So please let me know if you're out there. By the way, if you're interested in the Latin America market, I'll be the moderator of a breakfast briefing that's being held by my friends at Green Power Conferences. That event is going from 8 to 10 a.m. on Wednesday the 12th at the Kempton Hotel in Union Square. I can give you more details on that. I'll post those details on the website. Head over to mysuncast.com if you're interested in attending this year's LATAM breakfast briefing and meeting me, Edgar Arvizu, Dino Barajas, and about 100 or so other solar leaders in the LATAM market. Hey, as always, if you have someone or something that you think should be on Suncast, please shoot me an email, LinkedIn message. Or just pop over to the website, as I've said a million times, and leave a voicemail right from your smartphone. The website, again, is www.mysuncast.com. My email is nico at mysuncast.com. One last thing. This episode is brought to you by soulrates.com, the fast and free online platform for providing your commercial customers with a credible lease financing proposal. 
If you have projects over 100000 in value and you'd like an invitation code to join the platform, please reach out to me directly for an invitation code. SoulRates.com can help you level up your game for commercial and industrial customers who are looking for some level of financing that's not a PPA or going to their own bank. Let's see how SoulRates can help you. Thanks again for taking the time to be here this week. I hope that you enjoy this episode as much as I did with the one and only Arturo Herrero. Today on Suncast, live at Solar Plaza, unlocking solar capital in Miami, Florida, I have the distinct and honorable pleasure of spending time with my friend Arturo Herrero. Arturo, thank you for being here. Thank you, Nico, for inviting me. Absolutely. It's been a long time coming. Arturo is probably when sales guys say, where do you live? And, and one says, oh, uh, you know, in, in the Admiral's Lounge or in the Delta Lounge. Arturo is probably the person, I think, uh, who embodies that <laughs> most in, most completely. Uh, I don't know how you actually spend time with a family. And I know that, that that's part of your story is actually deferring family life so that you can have a successful career. Well, Arturo has crafted what many would agree is a rewarding and successful career, designing, defining, and implementing the sales and marketing strategies for some of the industry's largest solar companies. Uh, he was an early executive member of both Trina Solar and Jinko Solar after that, actively participating with the C-suite in both instances in their roadshows to raise capital between Trina and Jinko, admirably raising over 600 million USD, helping take both companies public. Among what one might say is many accolades of the time, uh, one that stands out to me, Arturo, is the work that you did establishing and managing teams of sales folks, not just in one region, but in you know multiple regions, eight different nationalities, localized teams, more than 40 people, contributing to over $3 billion in annual revenues. And then Really, and from scratch, and really replicating it again, right? Uh, from Trina to Jinko. Uh, your corporate pedigree is extensive. I won't go into it. I'll direct folks to look at your LinkedIn profile, which is quite complete. I commend you for that. N not a lot of executives have taken the time that you have to fill out their LinkedIn Thank profile. You. Yeah, but it bears mentioning you didn't just cut your teeth in solar at Trina, and a lot of people probably think that that's true, but um, you know, you were. Uh, an operations guy from biscuits to to ingots, right? And, uh, and you, you actually cut your teeth at BP Solar in the early 2000s. So Trina and Jinko weren't your first rodeo. You know, it's really, it's a joy to get a chance to spend time with someone who has such a, I would say a successful, but also a protracted career doing increasingly impressive things. I would love to know you know, you had a successful career already at climbing the corporate ladder in Nabisco and BP. What was the impetus, the catalyst to move to go to Asia? I mean, obviously, it was kind of perfect timing if one looks back on it. But how, how do you go from Barcelona and Madrid, where every Spaniard, you know, wants to be? Yes. Uh, every, I've never met a Spaniard who wants to be outside of Spain because uh, it's such a beautiful country. How do you get to Asia and, and what was the impetus for that? Well, this is um, it's a long story, but I will make it short for you. <laughs> Um, a very interesting thing because um, I was uh, really uh, passionate and I'm still uh, I'm very passionate on, on renewable energies. I was moving from BP oil to the solar energy because I do believe in the clean energy. So I had the opportunity to move 
inside the BP group from oil to solar, and that's why I moved from Barcelona to Madrid. Yeah. I remember my mother telling me, oh my God, why you are going to live in Madrid? It would be <laughs> so far. <laughs> right. It was only one hour flight. But I spent six years in Madrid, and my job at that time was the procurement. Yeah. So I was global purchasing uh, manager for BP Group. And I was in touch with several companies that are, they were my suppliers. Uh -huh. And one of, one of them was a small Chinese company that I found in China that we were starting to do the qualification of the ingots and wafers. Right. And trying, trying to also to qualify the modules when they started. So it was yeah, they had them do OEM for you. Exactly. Yeah. And the quality was not good, was not great. The company yeah. was very tiny, it was yeah. small. There were no foreigners at all, all Chinese people. Yeah. But they were doing a great job in, in, in improving the quality. So we were buying as BP, and I was the, the guy for procurement, for purchasing, flying to China since the year 1998. Oh, wow. Uh, yes, as a, as a manager for global procurement, so it was my, my job as an engineer. Right. And then it was interesting because they approached me, the people from Merrill Lynch, and here's where my life changed completely. Mm. Merrill Lynch was coming jointly with Good Energies from Switzerland. Yeah. Our friend yeah. Sven Hansen. Sven, yeah. So they, they sent me a letter, an email, and one ticket to go to Paris for a, for a meeting, for a dinner meeting in France. Yeah. And I, was, I didn't really understand at that time, I didn't know what they wanted to meet me there. So it was, it was quite interesting. <laughs> so I went, I, fl I flew to Paris. We had a very nice uh, meeting with two people from Merrill Lynch. And during the dinner, they didn't tell me at front what they were asking me to be there, right? So they were asking me a lot of questions about the relationship between BP Solar and Trina Solar. And I was very frank to them. I was telling them, yeah, Trina is... Uh, small companies, small supplier for right. us, but uh, we are doing well in order to qualify the products. They are growing and we believe they have a good potential. So, and they were insisting, oh, what do you think about the expansion of Trina? And I was internally inside of me, I was laughing. What the expansion of Trina? Expansion, right? This is company, a, we're, this company is we're a Chinese, depending on us. It's a small, small factory. Uh, they, they didn't have more than 90 million revenues at that time. Uh, mainly selling uh, wafers right. and doing facades and other things in in China. So they didn't have so much international exposure, except for the wife of Mr. Gao, that Grace was really a fantastic woman. She she learned English very fast. And, and I met her, and, and she was the one selling us the products that we were qualifying. Oh, so wow. during that dinner, at the end of the dinner, they told me, oh, you know, we are looking to invest in Trina, 40 million US dollar. Mm. And I told them, wow, that's a big amount of money, congratulations. And they told me, yes, because we want to position Trina in the New York Stock Exchange market and make it the IPO, make it public. Yeah. And and I told them, 2005, wow. 2005? 2006. Okay. Yes. Uh, and I told them, well, the meeting, excuse me, the meeting was 2005. Okay. Yeah. And I told them, wow, so good luck. Yeah. Yeah, I hope you do a good job and you had taken a good decision. 
And then they continue the conversation and they told me, no, but we are looking for someone to help us to lead the IPO and also to lead the international expansion of the company. Yeah, to help them get out of China in terms and, of sales. And right? I told them, okay, so I can recommend some people in sales and, right. and marketing yeah. that, that I can introduce to you. And finally, they told me, no, no, you didn't understand anything yeah. after three hours. This has been an interview. We are looking for you. Yeah. And we have very good recommendations wow. uh, from, from Mr. Gao and, and Grace. It was uh, Mr. Gao's wife. Right. Uh, and I said, wow, that's really surprising me. And I, I, I'm honored to, to hear that. Yeah. But the answer is that I don't have any interest to leave my uh, situation in Madrid. Yeah, to leave Madrid, to leave a very comfortable job with a globally leading company. Exactly. I had a company car. I had wow. apartments because they moved me from Barcelona to Madrid. They were paying my apartment. I was even sometimes cycling with a bike to the to the factory in Tres Cantos in, yeah. in, in Madrid. I had my girlfriend at that time there. My life was really comfortable. Yeah. And I said, no, okay, no, I frankly and very honestly and I appreciate yeah. everything, but I would not move to, to China to work for, for Trina. Yeah. So that's all. I, I took my flight was, back. Was the deal to move to, to Shanghai or to Changzhou? To Changzhou. Oh, that's yeah. even, even worse. Even, yeah, even much, yeah, much different <laughs> than Shanghai. In the middle of nowhere at that time. And, I'm, and I'm talking about 2006. Yeah, so it was, it was 11 years ago. Changzhou is not what, what we see right now in no. China. So I, I left after three months. Three months they sent me another letter, another email and I, I said no again, and finally they sent me, I told them that I had my girlfriend, so they sent me two tickets, two flight tickets to China, Wow. to Shanghai, Yeah. and I went to China. Yeah. I took some week off, I think it was in, was in August, Yeah. and I, I left to China. I had a very good meeting uh, with, uh, at that time, uh, Merrill Lynch, Sven Hansen and his team. Yep. from Good Energies, yep. and obviously Mr. Gao and, and Grace and the people of Trina. Yeah. And they convinced me. They what, convinced was the me. what was the executive team like at the time? Well, you know, it was everybody was foreigners, except at that time they were at the same time interviewing Andy Clamp, our yeah. friend Andy. Yeah, Andy. So they introduced us together. It was Sven Hansen introduced us together. Yeah. So you came in as head of sales and he came. He was to come in as head of marketing, right? Or no, he was the VP of BD, business development, business development. and I okay. was the VP of sales and marketing. Uh -huh. So we met together in a coffee, I remember perfectly, yeah. after the, all the after long the listening to them. And we, we talked each other and I asked Andy, oh, so you are working for Trina? He told me, no, n not yet. Yeah, I was working for Dell Computer. <laughs> what about you? Oh, I'm, I, I come from BP Solar. I'm working for BP. Yeah, uh, and I am not planning to to move yet. But after one hour and a half, after Andy told me about his background and I told him about my background, and he was speaking Chinese at that time also. Yeah, not me at that time, but yeah. he was speaking Chinese. He told me, "Hey, I don't have experience in solar." but you bring experience from solar, from the industry, being in BP solar. And I told him, well, I don't have any experience in China and you speak Chinese. Yeah, wow. So maybe it's a good match. So I, 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 he told me, hey, Arturo, if you join Trina, I will join with you. Wow. And I told him the same, okay, if you join as B, VP of BD, okay. I will be the VP of sales and marketing. What Let's great, do that. What a great story.
I wow. Heard that. And then yeah. we started. It was 2000. And we, we, went to, we prepared the IPO yeah. since July 2006 until December 2006, where we were successfully listed yeah. in and New York. Was Trina State. the first solar, the first Chinese solar company to list? Or was there no, 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 no. Was Santec already Suntec was, was listed first, yeah. and Yingli was listed. Ah, okay. uh, Trina was the third one. Got it. Okay. Wow. What a great story. Um, so if we back up a minute, I'm, I'd love to hear when, and when you went to Trina, roughly how old were you in early thirties, mid thirties? Yeah, I was, uh, 29. Oh, 29. Yeah. Wow. You got the role of, uh, of basically oh, global head of sales. Oh, 28. Huh? At 28. We're talking about 15 years ago. Yeah. So before, before you decided, this is when you went to BP, right? At yes, 28. I was in BP. So. And, and, we, and so there's six, six years later, you were in your mid-30s when you went to Trina. Okay. What, what was the catalyst when... Yeah, exactly. So right. I'm curious, what was the catalyst for you when you were at Nabisco and not get it right. It's like not solar at all. It's major corporate. Clearly, your background was headed towards marketing from an interest perspective. But you were trained uh, engineer, trained in operations. Uh, what was the catalyst for you to leave uh, Nabisco? How did you know it was time to go? And that, that, that was a very good question. Um, I, I really had a lot of hesitation uh, at that time. I was having a lot of doubts if dedicating my life to the engineering and technical yeah, technical uh, aspects of the of, of the business or either to the to dedicate it to dedicate myself and my career to much more business administration that I also had the other degree so I right. I studied both engineer, engineering and and business, and business okay. administration and I had always this this doubt so I managed to combine these two things and to combine these two things was where I decided, okay, maybe I'm not so keen of being close in a factory doing operations and and doing all the technical stuff like I was doing in Nabisco. And maybe it's time for me to look at the opportunity to explore the world more on procurement, no? in purchasing, because yeah. it's a technical aspect right. of the business. So that's why I moved to, to BP yeah. Oil, at that time BP Oil. And right. then BP Solar. Got it. Um, purely to expand, uh, yeah, to expand uh, focus. That's very interesting. And then within BP, they sort of pulled you in to uh, your rising, sort of rising star, and they pulled you into the solar side of the business. Did you know Corey Vaughn? Yeah, when, of course. Of yeah, course. I, I, I have, have Corey. I have Corey coming on the show. Uh, I mean, I've, I've already done a, a recording with him. You know, we, a, we used to say that BP Solar is yeah. like uh, old school because a lot of people from BP has been moving. When, when they had to, to close the, the, the company and the factories. Yeah. I, I was expecting that to happen. So I left before. Unfortunately, I didn't get any, any payment for leaving. But I was <laughs> expecting that something like this was happening because yeah. we were having a change of CEO every six months. Wow. So the company didn't have very clear directions. Yeah. At VP. At VP. Yeah. And, and we were not competitive. And we were extremely expensive on structure. Right. So, but, but the school that we, we were talking about was helping us to be connected. And a lot of the folks that are currently in the industry so true. are my, my, my previous colleagues. Yeah. And I, I have been working with many of them in many companies, including yeah. San Edison, or including uh, well, many companies that, that were existing in the past. Yeah, you can, you can definitely create, you can, you can draw a thread between uh, of a few major companies 
between a few major companies and uh, and BP or Conergy, et cetera, right? Like there are some of these sort of staple companies that uh, that have proliferated a an entire generation of executives and very successful, you know, sales, marketing, operations, engineering. Um, so, you know, you've been, um, we talked a little bit about how you, in the intro, about how you've taken to unknown, uh, as you pointed out, uh, in some respects, maybe even mediocre uh, solar companies to, uh, to go public. You've helped take them uh, basically uh, to becoming the largest in the world. I think it's interesting uh, your career path, and, and there certainly there are many aspects that contribute to a company becoming the largest or or having a successful IPO. Uh, but I love the fact that in the sequence which you entered the companies, they both went public and became the largest in the world. Name, you know, notably, I came into Trina after you did. Yes. Uh, and while I was at Trina, we became the largest in the world. Jinko. Shortly, no, no, Trina. Uh, Trina was then, the largest in the yeah, world. Yeah, and then shortly after yes. that, Jinko surpassed Trina. Yeah. Um, uh, and so I'm curious. I'd love to know um, how you. Those two companies in particular happened at completely different phases, if you will, in the solar growth, solar boom, the solar industry. How do you contrast the perspective of being at Trina and taking it public versus the opportunity that you saw at Jinko, the timing, etc. And maybe I would have, I would actually sort of couch it of thinking about how you approached not the IPOs separate topic altogether. How you approached building a global sales organization within those two different companies based on the timing that right. of the industry. Right. So these are two different timings, as you said. One is uh, Trina in two thousand six when we made the company public and we established the sales and marketing business development and, and customer service structures and all the international expansions. The other one, Jinko Solar, was in 2010. Uh, you know, as, as well as I do, that this industry is a cycle. Yeah. So there is up and downs and there's a lot of um, difficulties for investors to trust and to believe in solar. So that's why in Jinko, in 2010, was very difficult times, uh, we and this was part of my invention too, with, with Gulnara, was to come out with the slogan, building your trust in solar. Yeah. So Jinko Solar, building your trust in solar. This is the slogan we created. Wow. Because at that time it was really tough, not only to be public and to convince investors to follow you, but also to create a new brand that nobody know at all, was completely unknown. Yeah. Another Chinese company, when there was already suffering Santec, yeah. there was Yingli, there was Trina, yeah. and there were 300 more Chinese companies right. at that time competing on prices. Yeah. And profits has been dropping and dropping year and month after month. Yeah. So it was, was challenging. But there was a challenge that I took when I moved from BP to Trina, and I wanted to take again from Trina to Jinko. Yeah. People were asking me the same question. Are you crazy? What are you doing? <laughs> Why you leave BP when it's top three in the world to join Trina? that nobody knows known, yeah. at all, a known company with so-so um, quality at that time. And why, when you tr you have put Trina in a high position in the top top three companies in the world, why you want to leave it and move to Jinko, that nobody knows Jinko and is also doesn't yeah. have very good 
uh, structure. In fact, they didn't have a structure. Yeah. And it was a mess. Everybody was sending quotations to the same customers from different teams yeah. and different prices. So wow. it was very funny. When Amazing. I arrived in Jinko, it was, was funny. So what I did uh, was exactly the same process, besides working very hard, uh -huh. was to create the system, to create the KPI process, to, mm -hmm. to create the, the different teams. Mm -hmm. We created, we divided. At that time when I arrived, everybody was doing sales. Yeah, yeah. And I identified All the people. I yeah. interviewed, I could realize that people have different skills. Mm. They're very good people in closing deals, in negotiation. That's right. But they're very good people in organizing the deals. Mm -hmm. And the one who can follow up and making the deal up to the point that the customer is ready to negotiate the, the right. conditions. Right. And there are other people that they're really good on opening the doors. Yeah. Like yep. business development people. Yeah. They're really good in establishing the great marketing uh, uh, brand recognition, brand recognition yeah. for, the, for the company, right? Yeah. So I could establish these different teams. So we created uh, sales, we yeah. created marketing, we created business development, and we created a very important team in China, with Chinese, that is called BOM. This is back office. What we had in Trina's back office, yeah. we created that also in Jink. So in both, in both companies, I, I created the same structure. structure. It was yeah. like a football or soccer team with people that are at the front trying to goal and people who are defending and people who are in the middle organizing the, the field. Yeah, and you, in, you inherited a team. We'll, we'll just look at Jinko. You inherited a team that was sloppy. And they, uh, they weren't passing the ball to each other. Uh, how much of the team did you have to cull? And then how, where did you look to add like your first high, if we use the football analogy, how did you think about adding your first uh, sort of high ticket uh, team members, right? Like, and I mean, I don't mean like somebody who's expensive. I mean, high value, the guy. Right. Like what, what is that skill set that you noticed was missing and you had to add to the team and, and it really elevated the game? Uh, you cannot imagine, Nico, how difficult was that? And it's still very difficult to find the right people. I had to cover probably over 300, 400 interviews. Yeah. And I can tell you, I had a non-compete clause signed with Trina that I respected. Yeah. That I couldn't bring customers from Trina to Jinko. Yeah. I couldn't bring employees from Trina to, to Jinko. Yeah. I couldn't also pass any kind of information from technical aspects for the solar panel at ETC. Right. So for me, it was, was just a question of uh, <laughs> putting myself on, to work. Yeah at the beginning by myself yeah. and meeting new companies, yeah. new EPC companies, new developers, new distributors at that time that were willing to trust a known, a known brand that was Jinko. And we had good, pe good people in Jinko at that time, yeah. but I had to clean a lot. Yeah. I have to make a very lean team uh, group. And also I had Gulnara, Abdunina, who was my right hand at that time, who was also married to an Italian gentleman, who she could speak Chinese and also Italian. So she was helping me in Italy, where yeah. the market was booming after Spain collapsed. Right. So at that time, we started to do the first business with a company called Totsi. Totsi. Yes. Yeah. And it was also because I, I could manage to convince them to trust us, yeah. to trust me, 
I was speaking also Italian. I had at that time uh, a girlfriend from Italy. Perfect. So it was helpful, <laughs> very helpful. And Gulnara was extremely uh, professional as it is today. And and then we hired Alberto Cutter. Then we hire yes. Then we hire uh, people in, in Nigel in, in nice. the USA, yeah. and we started to create the different uh, regions. So one of the things that I'm proud of is that I have been always close to my team yeah. and sitting with the customers with my team. Mm-hmm. I have never been a boss that is laying back in the office controlling right. everything from from the headquarters. Right. But I'm traveling. I'm traveling intensively yep. to go with my team to visit customers and, and sign contracts. Yeah, and it's, it's evident in the the network that you have. Uh, it's amazing how well, uh, not only how well respected you are in the industry, but how well connected you are. It seems I uh, I recall having ha- thinking you. often how unfair it was that the Jinko team, in particular, how the Jinko team had uh, Arturo always on the front line uh, it seemed like you really were always there um, and it's also not not a fair comparison in many respects when other sales managers have other obligations and they simply can't travel as much as you can but I, I agree with you that I think it made an enormous difference as a primarily product focused uh, guy I, I'm, I'm, I have two questions one is thinking back on your preparation do you feel that the what about your operations and engineering training gave you an advantage well that's that's very very interesting also because i always believe that part of the success in many business is to combine both being flexible and at the same time being very specific on details yeah so this was uh, i think one of the things i had been trained from my studies and also at BP Solar, how to make sure that we are disciplined. Mm. So not only on the behavior as a person of uh, working hard day during the day and taking the time to, to do the homework on time, to reply on time, to prepare the, the, the business plans on time, but also uh, to make sure that you have the flexibility to negotiate and to understand the needs of the customers and the needs of the market. I was speaking quite a lot of languages. I yeah. speak uh, five and a half because <laughs> Chinese, Chinese is still difficult for me. But it was helping me to have this flexibility to understand different cultural right. mindsets. Yeah. And it's not the same to negotiate in Italy than to negotiate in the States. Or it's not the same to negotiate in the States than negotiating in Mexico. Or in, Did you ever or find in yourself Panama. getting confused and forgetting that you're now negotiating in an Italian style in Mexico? Well, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes <laughs> we mix the languages, especially between Spanish of and course. Italian. Yeah, but it's uh, but it's, it's good also if uh, we can we can have fun on that. So, in the sales side, uh, I have sp- spent some time doing BD and uh, and contract negotiation for product uh, product vendors. It's a category in and of itself, right? That 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 you have to take certain sales guys. Um, what advice do you would you give, having done this now for two major Chinese vendors? What advice would you give to a young sales manager who's trying to, or director or VP, who is thinking about introducing their product, whatever the product is, into new markets? What? How? I mean, I don't know. I'm going to leave it to you. I think you've probably thought about this, but how do you 
approach introducing new products to new markets uh, broadly speaking and is there any specific uh, uh, advice that you okay that, that's different different way depending on which is your position if you are a director or vice president I think the most important thing is to have the team coach and this is what I enjoy a lot and have a technique to implement in your team so you need to to monitor your team to make sure that they have enough um, right of decision so you have to delegate empowerment enough meaning, empowerment yeah. mm -hmm. exactly that's thank you for the word yes enough delegation yeah. to the team that they can feel responsible and empowered to take decisions so what we were doing in both in Trina or later in Jinko was to establish establish some some tables in Excel right. with the ranges of prices according to the payment terms yeah. according to the region according to the yeah. strategical customer yep. size according to the it was a current customers or a new customer yeah. ATC there's a lot of Very systematically nice. things mm -hmm. that you you should use this technology in order to educate and to coach the team in order for them to to realize do you uh, run through scenarios with them on how to negotiate based on different exactly. different customers exactly and I was trying to keep quiet for me it's difficult but I was trying to just to see how they interact with the customer in yeah. front of me and then I was coaching them and telling them oh you should ah. do that um, obviously when the customer is a big size and you are talking to a CEO or a chairman of the company probably sometimes it's much more complicated that the manager is able to close the deal mm. without the support from the in my case from the chief strategic officer or chief marketing right. officer so but if you want to enter with a new product obviously first you need to believe yeah and i'm i'm telling you as a as a sales professional right. for so many years or marketing professional because at the end is they are yeah. together so you need to believe very well in the in the product right you need to make sure that the quality itself is selling by by itself i yeah. mean the quality of the product has to be there if not and this was my my request always to the factories has been a lot of a lot of work in fighting internally to make sure that they satisfy the needs of the customers right. and when they say quality is not only the product itself is the process is the contract yeah is the is the what's timing the yeah, what's the customer experience in going from introduction to the product to getting a contract signed exactly yeah. so you can imagine for a Chinese company and, and, and I think it was the really the differentiation of Trina and the differentiation of Jinko is that we made the process faster flexible yeah other Chinese companies managed by Chinese and run only by Chinese and with all my respect to Chinese they were unable to understand the needs in time or in flexibility or in um, fulfillment of the contracts right. and then a lot of customers were feeling disappointed or they were frustrated yeah and it happened also in Trina at the beginning and it happened in Jinko at the beginning and we managed to 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 make the things much more easier for everybody do you feel like you were able to position your team to sell more on features and benefits than cost advantage well that's a very good question Nico well you know at the end of the day is value the value proposition and this is something that we managed to introduce in Trina first and then in Jinko right. uh, Chinese people Chinese companies were used to sell by price 
Yeah. Only focus on price. And train their customers accordingly. Exactly. So they were trying to push to sell much more containers, especially right. when there is a price war, just on the concept of price. And that was a big mistake. Yeah. What we introduced in Trina and then in Jinko was the branding, mm -hmm. was the customer service, yeah. was the quality assurance, was the improvement on payment terms, was the support in training, yeah. was the cooperation with companies like DuPont in order to create much more value to the brand itself. Right. And this is nothing related with price. No, not at the all. end of the day, what they want, especially when the solar panel is becoming a commoditized as long as you talk only about price. Yeah. But when you have to give a warranty for 25 years, mm -hmm. then and, and you need to give a customer service and a fast response and you be you need to be on time and you have a logistics also involved in the supply of the of the solar panels. Right then it's not anymore a commodity yeah. because it's like inverters. Yeah. Inverters is not the same to buy an inverter in Spain, in Germany, no, or not. to buy it in China. Yeah. Why? Basi basically, because you need to provide a customer service and you need to be close to your customers yeah. to have an immediate response. Yeah. So this is what we educated these two companies, Trina and Jinko, yeah. to have a higher price. So they were the companies with higher gross margin in the industry. And this is why they are surviving today. Yeah, and Jinko does this extremely well, um, better than Trina, frankly. Yeah, right now, well, Trina did very well. Yeah, then absolutely. they created uh, a couple of uh, uh, mistakes. Uh, they did a couple of mistakes, but, and the structure is probably too too, too big. Right. Uh, Jinko has been lean because it was our uh, main uh, strategy that yeah. I helped to implement. Do you remember back in uh, 2013, 2014, I don't remember what year exactly, Canadian started as the tail wagging the dog. Uh, globally speaking, the United States was beginning to be a very important market, but the notion of a thousand volt panel was already IEC approved. Everyone in the rest of the world used a thousand volt panel, right? It was just a matter of time before the United States would migrate from 600 volt to a thousand volt. Um, I remember very clearly the day that a report came out from uh, a, a very small, yet very well-respected, and now part of DNV lab out of Berkeley that said that not only 1,000 volt, but no PID were the two things that we need to watch for, right? And mm -hmm. Canadian used this as their hammer in meetings. All of a sudden, everyone's coming to Trina, for example, and saying, Great. Well, uh, it has to be no, no PID, yeah, performance-induced degradation. For those who are unfamiliar with that term, can you think of a time? You know, in the industry, broadly speaking, a lot, lots of folks, is certainly on the on the contractor side, they see things like this and they're like, "Oh, that makes sense to me," but but they're just kind of part of puppets in in the in the master marketing scheme of things. Uh, PID is something, furthermore, that. Uh, that Canadian didn't introduce to the industry. All engineering, uh, anyone who knew about engineering knew how it worked. No one just demanded that it be present and that it be at no cost. Um, can, can you think of some things like that uh, that are, in essence, their marketing schemes? They're, they're, they're ways to create fear, uncertainty, and doubt in your competitors that you uh, successfully employed? Yeah, well, in fact, uh, Nico, and I, I'm telling you that the PID free. Yeah. The PID free potential induced degradation was introduced by Fichtner, who is a due diligence technical company from Germany, okay. who was evaluating Jinko 
for the first large-scale project in South Africa. Oh, wow. Because of the high temperature of the African countries, they were uh, asking us, and they were, they were advisors for, for, for the bank, Yeah. and they were asking uh, Jinko to fulfill this PID-free for the modules, uh -huh. where nobody understood what there was the potential induced degradation right. free. So then Canadian Solar follow up, and then finally was Trina continuing right. and the rest of the market. Yeah. But it was very interesting because there was a concept that was coming from the engineering uh, professors yeah. from university who, right. who were helping these due diligence companies to the yeah. banks. Yeah. And one of the things, and is probably the answer to your question, one of the things that we implemented in Ginko was to be advanced, to be pioneers in getting closer to the banks and getting bankability right. in more than, probably more than 80 banks yeah. in, in only two years. So we did yeah. a lot of roadshow just uh -huh. talking to banks. So would you ascribe the whole notion of the, we'll call it Bloomberg bankability list? Uh, <laughs> I mean, is that, I, I kind of see that as it's the marketing scheme, right? It's something that one may imagine was invented in, in Shanghai in the offices of a couple of, uh, of, marketing, of, of marketing teams of solar companies that said, no, we don't want, you know, Shine or, or, you know, name your Chinese company to have a shot at these big contracts. So we're going to name, we're going to create this thing called bankability. Is that, is that true? Or did it sort of well, organically it's a, evolve? It's a mix of different, of different, uh, inputs there or different reasons. Yeah. The first reason is that at that time, because of the shaking of the solar industry yeah. and the Suntech oversupply, exactly. Mm -hmm. So Santec was mm -hmm. on bankruptcy, LDK was mm -hmm. on bankruptcy, and, and a lot of other smaller companies in, yeah. in China. So there was probably a tool that was needed to have a criteria. It's like when you make, right. when you do yourself an MBA, that right. you have a signal to the market that you have, at least theoretically, you have better skills than other people, right? right? So the same was uh, used by Bloomberg Finance. Yeah. And, and everybody wanted to be in that list. Right, right. now, you, you see the list, probably there are companies that shouldn't be there. Mm, right. Yingli is one of the examples. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to be so, <laughs> so direct, but um, because Bloomberg was looking at the financials of the companies, how much debt was in all these companies, and right. which were the, the risk, the high risk for for the company to be in bankruptcy. Yeah. And of course, they were also checking uh, which was the number of installations that are yeah. performing well without quality issues. Yeah. I remember uh, Mike Renault was my boss at Trina and uh, and Mark Kingsley, who's now at Alliant. And uh, they one of the things that I remember very distinctly that nobody was talking about, and we thought it was novel, and in fact, it helped us win some contracts, was there's this guy, uh, something Altman, and he was very famous for a, co a, a formula he created called the Altman Z score. Do you okay. remember this? Do you remember <laughs> the Altman Z score? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Altman Z was a, an indicator of, of impending death, basically. It was like whether or not you're above or below this line would tell how close you were to going to bankrupt. Um, that was a simple <laughs> example of how, like, literally at our SPI booth, we had this wall that showed the Altman Z scores of every company. And, of course, Trina was, like, sterling, and right. other companies were not. But... Um, there are other tools right now that are still working. Yeah, like what? Uh, like, uh, you know, one of our colleagues in Trina, mm. uh, Alex Minuzzo, mm. created a company uh, with a technical 
uh, auditing of the factories in China. It's oh, called right. STC. STC. Yes, mm -hmm. and and they are using it. In fact, Sterling and Wilson as an it's EPC like a stamp, an has been using STC approved stamp wow. in order to make sure that there is a somebody auditing the factory mm. before the production yep. or during the production yep. before the delivery and the shipment yeah. of the containers of the solar modules. How interesting. And our friend Andy Klam also is Andy, doing yeah, similar yeah, thing with uh, CEA, you know, with his yep. company. So there, there, there has been quite of advisors that are using uh, this need in the industry to differentiate one panel producer with another. And let me introduce another one yeah, that sure. is something I'm investing myself. Okay. Uh, with Alter Power, my company, that is called HST Solar. HST Solar is a software. Yeah. That is is they are based in Los Angeles. That's why I'm spending a lot of time there, and I'm helping them strategically as an external advisor. And HST, what they came to, came to uh, to the market with a very vertical integrated software that is doing all the um, layout and the strings. A simulation of the project yeah. from the scratch, yeah. and then they, they they choose, or you can choose the the technologies, the inverters and modules you want to use, right. and finally, they do the bill of materials and the most important thing, the flow of energy of 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 income yeah, of revenues that you will be expecting from this project for the next twenty years of PPA or fifteen years of PPA. Yeah. So finally, you can you can play and you can have a sensitivity analysis on IRR. Mm, based, on the, based on the, uh, the variables of the project. Exactly. So you can also very easily uh, identify if it is better this project with uh, string inverters or central inverters or if it is better with this technology or yeah. the other technology. So it's a, it's a software that does modeling. I, I presume it's got some sort of AI doing yeah, millions exactly. of calculations. Exactly. It's, it's uh, more than millions of iterations with yeah. uh, artificial intelligence. And, and this software, we want to in be introduced to the banks yeah, and, to and to financial advisors yeah. to make sure that they can... HST verified Yeah, they can the exactly. Then it will be very easy for the banks to realize because it's apples to apples when they compare two projects. So presumably that would help um, improve what the bank is willing to accept in terms of the P50, P70, P90 on, on the mm -hmm. variability or probability of the yield in, in the PV system report as we currently kind of look at it right yeah well you can you can use pvcs as mm -hmm. a complement you can use also autocad yeah you, they are uh, the software is getting uh, inf inputs from google earth in order sure. to uh, yeah to create the yeah. orographies it's mm -hmm. quite precise and and then the banks can can utilize this tool as mm -hmm. a <laughs> certification let's uh let's play a game i call hot or not if i don't know if you listened to the show before but we take a broad view of specific markets, spend 30 to 60 seconds, and you simply tell me whether you think it's hot or not. Okay. And if you want to add some commentary, sure. feel free to. So we'll, we'll go sort of north to south, and we'll start with Mexico. Mexico right now is very hot. Uh -huh. Is it hot for utility, DG? It's hot for the, for the utilities. In fact, we, we already did uh, some uh, developments with a local partner there. Mm -hmm. And we are offering these projects to some companies. So Jinko, for example, is using part of this um, pipeline of projects we have in Mexico for the next ten. Uh -huh, for the next ten. So Mexico is hot for the tender itself. Uh, right. Okay. For the big scale, the large scale projects. The large scale projects. Um, what about Central America? Broadly speaking, you've spent a lot of time there with your team. Panama and I have been also doing a lot of things there. We 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 help to close some PPAs and. 
and uh, we have some projects there. Mm -hmm. Price was low yeah. in, in Panama because... Are you, are you able to talk about where, where the price is or where you see in what range? Well, these are private PVAs. Below, below 100. I mean, private PVAs below 100. Yes. Okay. Or roughly around 100, 110. Sure. So in, in the in the average, it's around 100. Yep. But probably the prices will go up, and this is what we are seeing now. And why will they go up? The prices uh, of the of the market or of the PPAs? Uh, the the prices are, are linked, right? So the the, the spot prices yeah. finally. PPA will be also I improved. This is what we expect. Yeah, yeah. Costa Rica, uh, Panama, all Central America, I think, is still has a lot to say. Yeah. And will have some potential so call demand. It, call it lukewarm. Colombia, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Colombia. Hot or not? Col Colombia is hot, but not yet. Yeah. Enough. So it's warm. Yeah. <laughs> Probably will have to be heated. It's not, it's not as hot as Medellin. No. <laughs> it's beautiful. So, yeah. It's beautiful. So so. W if we put a pin on uh, on Colombia for a second, what is it going to take for it to be hot? Well, you know, net metering is not approved yet. The legislation still so it's still in process, but yeah. it will come. Mm -hmm. I was sitting and having dinner with uh, Mr. Name. Name is the ex president of Senate and is the current Senate of Barranquilla. Yeah. So I've been a couple of times sitting with him, and they are pushing the law. He was the one uh, writing the law for renewals in Colombia. Mm. And there are a lot of companies there already preparing nice projects. Yeah, yeah. Do you see more people preparing? I heard someone this morning say uh, in a session that it's mostly in the 10 megawatt scale, right? It seems to me like it's kind of like Panama. Everyone's sort of proliferating this model of 10 megawatts. Is that is that because there's some in indication that that's going to be uh, the the market accepted size for upcoming tenders, or why why are they hovering around 10 to 20 megawatts? Pro probably probably the, there was a threshold where the permits will be easier but, yeah. but mm -hmm. it still is not uh, very clear okay. and the reasons for that also financially uh, the investment is is lower is needed sure. for 10 megawatt than for for 100 megawatt sure. probably will be easier to to get project finance and, and Do you equity. think Columbia is going to be given the mix they already have of quite robust but not only renewables but fossil generation you think it's going to be a market where we see 100 megawatt scale projects yes it will come eventually mm -hmm. but Probably there will be many more in medium, medium and small size. Yeah. So I, I think, especially because there is a lot of mini grid needed and uh, standing alone systems yeah. in the middle of nowhere in the jungle. Mm. So Colombia has a huge percentage of the, of the country right. that is not grid connected. Right, right. Well, what about, uh, if we keep going south, hot or not, Argentina? Argentina, the, if I would say, still is, is warming, but I was there just uh, a couple of months ago. I was in Colombia, Chile, Argentina, and then I come back to Los Angeles. And, and the issue in Argentina is the lack of uh, credibility mm -hmm. so far for the economy itself, for the government, yeah. second, and the lack of project finance from, from investment from yeah. banks. So when it is uh, finally solved, then it will be a lot coming into Argentina. Mm. Right now, still, is too... The credibility is an too, issue. Too soon. Despite the World Bank guarantees on the tenders, it still is a question or question mark around the government. Uh, there long, are projects... Long-term government credibility. If you go, go with 100% equity, then you can make a project. You can, sure, you can build Argentine <laughs> equity. <laughs> <laughs> that you never have to take out of the country. So let's talk about Chile. You were there. What do you think of Chile? Is it hot or not? Chile is a small country in terms of demand of energy. Unfortunately, the mining that was pulling uh, pulling the, the the GDP of the country 
in the last years has been a slowdown. Mm. So mining is at half of their production capacity. Yeah. So the demand of energy required is also going down. So Chile, and I was sitting also and talking for a couple of times with the Minister of Economy. And he was telling, he was announcing they are in favor of renewable energies and they were announcing by the end of this year there will be another auction, but the auction will be for 2022 or 25. So it means that from now to 2022 there are not new, new projects, they are the ones yeah. that they are on development and yeah. that's it. Wow. What is interesting in Chile is projects below nine, nine megawatts, megawatts, the, PMGD. the typical PMGD. Yeah. And the PMGD, they, are, they have stable uh, electricity price, yeah. so it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it's a very interesting. And we have some of them in our pipeline also. <laughs> very good, very good. Are you uh, are you hot on uh, Brazil or not? Well, Brazil for me is extremely difficult country. Difficult. Not because of the language, because finally Spanish or Brazilian is very yeah. similar Portuguese. Uh, but I think the country has a difficulty first on the corruption, on the economy recession that re they are having right yeah, now. Yeah. The import taxes are very complicated, and mm -hmm. we did a lot of studies for Ginko. Even even we were planning to have a production line there in order to have the local content right. with with the with BNDS BNDS uh, financing at a low rate. You know, uh, the exchange rate is a big issue also of yeah. the real versus the U.S. dollar. Uh, so there is a currency risk, there is a country risk, there is a import taxes. So everything is all in all is so complicated that I, I don't spend too much time in Brazil. Probably for distribution generation makes sense. Mm. For local companies in yeah, Brazil makes sense. Yeah, that's a good point. I appreciate that caveat. Do you spend any time in Caribbean? Yes, especially on vacation. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> so, so I'll call it. Only the, for the weekends. Opportunistically hot. And, uh, for the weekends. Well, I, I'm going to add another musing here. What about distributed storage or, or energy storage, broadly speaking? For your, for, as far as your business is concerned, is energy storage hot or not? Well, it's starting to be very hot. And, and in some regions, makes a lot of sense. Especially, you know, in Baja California, in Mexico, is already a requirement yeah. by law. Yeah. So yeah. I think more and more they will be required to have a backup on, on batteries in order to try to, to, to close the cycle and to pr provide the PPA as many as hours of, of energy supply. Yeah. So m especially all the islands, and I, I guess you are asking because we were touching now the Caribbean islands, all the Dominique, La Republique, all yeah. the French colonies, ex-colonies, yeah. it makes sense to have batteries. Mm -hmm. And we expect, and spending a lot of time in China, as my wife is Chinese also, yeah. So we have been following all the battery manufacturers that will be competing mm. uh, to reduce the cost of batteries. Yeah. And this is what we are w waiting for. This yeah. is the new age. Is there, is there a chemistry that you see on the horizon that is going to be a game changer? Is there something that, uh, that, we, that you've seen because you've been in China that yeah, well, are, I have been following up. Uh, I was in BP Solar. I was buying also batteries. Yeah. At that time it was uh, AGM batteries or lead, yeah. uh, lead acid batteries. Yeah. And now uh, Leon is the, what is, is popular and is, it makes sense for solar projects. Yep. And also to combine with the electric mobility that is also part of our business in, in Alter Power. So we do believe that this is a huge potential business mm -hmm. for all of us that we are in this industry. That's interesting. I was going to ask a question. I had forgotten that uh, Alter Powers are connected in some way with electric mobility. What do 
Uh, do you, I'm assuming the answer is hot, but let's just call it, uh, I'll call it out and you say hot or not. How about the impact of electric cars on the future grid? Well, this would be fantastic once we have the structure, infrastructure to, to connect electric yeah. bikes and everybody has at home their own electric car. Yeah. doesn't need to be Tesla necessarily, right. but can, can be, we, we are now um, trying to close um, um, a production line of one of our f manufacturers in China mm. to do micro electric cars, very small ones. Wow. Yes, uh, with not very high autonomy and not very right. fancy, right. but cute enough and very useful for the downtown of the cities. Of course, yeah, 10 miles, 20 miles. Yeah, that's for Barcelona, Madrid, London, yeah. Milano, it makes a lot of sense yeah. because we need uh, to help them, uh, to help the cities to reduce their pollution and also to, I to improve their mobility internally in the cities, right? Very interesting. Is there anything beyond that that has you really excited in terms of business model innovation in the solar industry or in the energy industry broadly? Well, I just came from Intersolar mm -hmm. um, in, in Munich uh, as every year mm -hmm. for the last 16 years. So I, I didn't see any much um, changes except that the, now the industry in solar is moving for mono perk because it's right, high, perk, higher, yeah. higher efficiencies. Mm -hmm. and and you can reach uh, easily 350 345 watts per, per panel with 72 with 72 cells yeah. and i was happy to see that because in in many rooftops uh it will increase quite a lot the, the energy provided yeah uh, besides that i don't see so much changes in the industry uh, i think also every new technology will have to be implemented and, and bankable. Yeah. And you know how is Deutsche Bank, or I know them very well, or any of these uh, banks, that they require at least three or four years of uh, projects Pro that uh, has been running yeah. in order to make you bankable. So I still think that we will continue with crystalline modules and, yeah. and thin film from, from First Solar. Well, it's interesting. I heard, I heard um, very recently that an unnamed manufacturer had uh, basically, and it's one of the smaller, lesser known, we'll call it Chinese manufacturers that do a lot of the OEM, had completely shut down their factory, weren't taking any orders because they're converting the whole thing to perk. Oh, really? Yeah. So wow. I, think I think it's interesting. The, the, so drastically. The, the, <laughs> the drastic and uh, remarkably quick conversion, or I would even say reversion back to mono or uh, or mono or, or mono style, right? Perk modules, right? Like this, I, I thought that mono was dead. I think everyone did. No, poly is going to replace mono, and mono is more of a niche application. Obviously, SunPower and Solar World and others have have their place in the market. Yes. But uh, I thought that I thought that was very interesting as well. To your comment about perk uh, being sort of the standout, like innovation, if we want to call it that, at InterSolar this year. As, as an engineer, uh, and I remember when I was studying that in, in the purchasing part of BP Solar, uh, always, for me, has been making much more sense to produce multicrystalline as a lower cost, right? Yeah. However, unfortunately, the speed on the growth of efficiency for the multicrystalline multi models has not been as fast as we were expecting. That's right, yeah. But it could be reverse. It could happen that maybe in one or two years we are reaching 20% of efficiency with multicrystalline. Multi and then <laughs> they will say, oh, monocrystalline is too expensive to produce, the yeah. monoperk. And then they've, yeah, and then they've built out these perk lines and, <laughs> and they're going to switch back. <laughs> yeah, then we have to switch again. I think, yeah. <laughs>
maybe and then maybe Trina will be number one in the world again because they have the largest. Yeah, hopefully. So it, hopefully both they keep uh, on the top. Yeah, and I, Trina. I have a I have a million questions for you because you've had such a uh, such a prolific career. What are some key lessons or takeaways from mentors in your life that you've applied uh, to your career? Well, I had very good teachers and and professors. Uh, I'm not talking about university, but I'm talking about uh, in real life. One of them was m my father, mm. and still is. He's a good reference for me. He has been always the one who who has been hard on me mm. when he had to be hard on me. Right has been helping me to be disciplined and to be uh, asking always for the questions, for the answers. Right. And this is something that all of us, we need to, to try to find out what, what we like to do and put our, our passion. I think with, with, from my mother, I took the passionate attitude towards the things you want to achieve yeah. and to be persistent. Yeah, very interesting. Is there something that you see, you're moving more into the development space and, and creating opportunities for yourself. Is there something you see over the spectrum of 10 years working with many EPCs and developers that entrepreneurs do consistently that they really should stop doing? Right, like if, if you, you've got the two categories of things you wanna do, your to-do list, and then you should have the not to-do list. What, what thing would you put on the not to-do list for entrepreneurs these days that you see is like, you, you, you walk into the office and you go, oh no, not again, these guys. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, all of us, we made mistakes, right? And even being an entrepreneur now, uh, I, I, I probably could have done the things uh, better and faster and, and, right. and without mistakes. But it's a learning curve. Yeah. And always you need to analyze, try to, to focus. And this is probably the mistake of most of the entrepreneurs that we don't know exactly in which direction we need to go. Right. And then when we disperse too much, probably we lose the strength in some of these projects. And this is, I'm, I'm talking about my personal experience, right? Right. Uh, but at the same time, I think in life, uh, you need to try until, until you fail so many times that finally you give up, right? Mm. But you have to try not to give up. Yeah. So, Persistency, as I said before, I think is one of the attributes that any entrepreneur needs to have. And, and at the same time, to be realistic. Mm -hmm. Because some people is, if you want now to build a thin film factory, oh, probably it's not the right time. Right. right? If you want to, to start working on uh, lead acid batteries, yeah. Uh, probably it's not the right time. So you need to, to make sure you have the right knowledge. Yeah. And to analyze the market, analyze the technology before you take any decision. Yeah. And then and then to, to try to trust the people as, as long as they are trustful. <laughs> this is what I do and sometimes I, I make some mistakes. Yeah. And do you have uh, do you have some gu guiding principles for how you test trust? Well, that's very difficult. Uh, it's a question of time and and and, and and, and projects or let's say uh, uh, trials. Yeah. 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 And and sometimes, well, people is we are humans, right? So we are not perfect, and yeah. I understand that we have to be flexible at the same time and give opportunities. Yeah. Second and third opportunities. Yeah. But sometimes uh, we need also to to choose better and and maybe to have better partners and to move in different direction. Yeah. Yeah. So Arturo, uh, I believe that reading is leading and that 
the your ability to read allows you to learn from other people's mistakes right it's an adage that is true universally in my opinion and it allows us to uh, gain wisdom from centuries of thought not just blogs and, and whatnot so I would love to know what's on your nightstand well uh, I have several books that they started that did never finish but I'm, I'm still going on uh, I, I would recommend uh, the ones that impacted me in my professional life were the different ones from Stephen Covey. So mm -hmm. probably you you know and our, our audiences uh, audience also they probably know the eight habits of the eight habits of most efficient people. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And this is something that was nice, a nice book. But uh, the most important for me was the 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 other books that Stephen Covey was writing when he was older in his life uh -huh. because he was much more wiser. So he wrote the, the eight habits. So after the seventh habit, he wrote the eighth habit. The eighth habit. Yes, right, right, right. the eighth habit. And it's something that it was a compiling of different very important lessons that he has been teaching all his life. And the next book I read from him was, and the, the one was impacting me a lot, was First is First. First things first. First is first. Ah, first is first. Yes, and this book was really touching because even if a seventh habit of most efficient people was more referring to the time management and to be uh, much more um, organized in your time, in your work, in your daily tasks, when it goes to eight habits, already you are understanding that there is a purpose in life. Mm. And the meaning in life is not only just work and work, and this is why in the last book I read from Stephen Covey was First is First, when you realize that the most important thing in life is to provide a, a legacy. Yeah. And this is something for me was changing my life completely. Yeah. And giving a legacy is bringing you another meaning in your life. Mm. So you want to work for something greater than this life, more important than this life. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, all of us we will die eventually, right? Yeah. So when you build something, like could be in our in our industry is quite easy because we're right. working to to make a, a, a renewally no yeah. not only so materialistic but to make a better world for our children and new generations yeah, sure but at the same time i was also thinking okay maybe it's time for me to build something by my own like uh, my own company right and at the end and this is very recently i thought okay maybe it's time to settle down to marry and to have a child yeah yeah Wow. And, and it went is, is, is at the time when I realized that my work-life balance was not really there. Mm. So I decided, okay, maybe it's time to, to spend more time with friends, with my family, and to create my own family, to, to find the right girl, to marry, and to have children. Yeah. And this is where <laughs> I, I'm doing right now in, for the Wonderful. last yeah, few months. exactly where you're at in, in your life right now. Do, do is there a book that you have uh, that you've given away the most or that's changed the way obviously this one changes the way you think about the world but is there a book that you've given away the most yes and why yes I have been giving uh, several uh, several times to my friends uh, besides the Stephen Jobs biography that for mm -hmm. me was also impacting because it's also an important reference what you can do good and also what you can do wrong. Right. I think Stephen Jobs um, had a very strong character, very yeah. strong personality with probably not 
encouraging enough his own people or not yeah. being flexible enough. Uh, but at the same time, he's, he was a visionary and he was creating a, an empire like Apple. Right. Right? But there is another book that is how to make friends. Uh, it's something and it, and longer than that. People. And influence people, exactly. Yeah. From a French gentleman from the old times, it was, uh, I'm talking about 19, 1940s. Yeah. But it still is very actual for, the, for our current times. The, the actor, author probably you remember is Carnegie. Uh, yeah, the author is Con Co Carnegie. Carnegie. Dale, Dale Carnegie. Dale Carnegie. So I really like that book. And even if the title doesn't make really the sense, it's not how to make friends and influence in the people. Yeah, it's not about being manipulative. Exactly. It's not about being manipulated, but about creating relationships, about creating a the, the most important part of the human beings connecting is the connecting personal the personality. Yep. And then how to, at the end of the day, how to, it moves everything in life. It moves yeah. your personality, it moves your relationships at work, it moves your business success. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, I'm, I love that you have that on your list of books to give away. My mom also had it on her list of books to give away, and it was the first book I was given from my mom. Oh, really? Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. So, so what one thing do you do, Arturo, consistently? that yields the greatest impact in your personal or professional life? Well, I'm, I'm very persistent and I'm not easily to give up. Mm. But at the same time, I have a strong faith, mm -hmm. both in, in people, in, in myself, but also in God. Yeah. And I try to pray. I am, I'm, a, I'm a Christian and I pray quite often. Yeah. And I ask for help, I give thanks. And I ask for forgiveness wow. <laughs> quite often, yeah. maybe more than I should. Um, and, and I go to church when I, when, I, when I can, when I have some time for myself, and yeah. I pray in church. Uh, yeah. Maybe a lot of people, they don't know these kind of That's aspects. No, I appreciate you being that, that yeah. uh, transparent and that open. Thank you. That's, mm. uh, no, I didn't know that about you. So well, I, lear I learned that from, from uh, my family. I, yeah. I, I come from a very traditional family, my father is a doctor cardiologist mm -hmm. uh, my mother yeah. has been working with him all his life all her life yeah. and and they both has been teaching me some values that i think at the end of the day even if you are or not christian even if you are or not practicant you are uh, having these values yeah inside of your inner personality yeah absolutely that uh yeah that's beautiful Arturo, if someone wanted to reach out to you are you on twitter linkedin what's the best way for someone to find you wechat <laughs> yeah, probably WeChat is very <laughs> useful these days. WhatsApp, WeChat, uh, phone, I'm almost 24 hours available. Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially now that we're feeding the baby. So yeah. <laughs> at night, we're answering the phone at 2, 3, 4 a.m. Yeah. And, and well, I'm I know that if you're connected on LinkedIn, Arturo has his phone listed on his LinkedIn profile. So probably the best way then would be to connect with you on LinkedIn. And yeah, that's correct. And have access to uh, his, his, his email from 1997. It's a Hotmail account. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm now trying to switch the people to, to move to my company uh, email account, the alterpower.ch from Switzerland. Yeah. Uh, but but it's still a lot of people still contact me by Hotmail. You, you should just get your whole business to use a Hotmail account. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it would be more yeah. successful. Yeah. Well, it would be interesting. So <laughs> 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 no, I think you should stick with the, with the corporate email. Well, let's end today with a bold prediction. Arturo. What one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball? 
Well, I, I think in Trina and in Ginkgo, we were doing a lot of useful um, insights, uh, understanding how is the next move for the company. And, and we were quite successful in being, being the first movers in taking the right decisions in, in the major market. So that was part of my, of my job was analyzing the geographical situation of the solar industry yeah. and taking the right decisions and putting the investments with the uh, opening offices or local people in these countries. Right. So it's something that I, I realized that it has been helping us to be very flexible and moving in and out when it's the right time. So I'm trying to do that also myself for my own business. Yeah. And, and I'm investing in several um, uh, successful uh, projects right and i'm partnering with companies that i do believe that are also that are going to have a very good success in the future yeah. one of them is power electronics for inverters okay one of them is facilita in in panama one of them is um, yeah is a electrical vehicle company that's ah, right. we, we put some investments and right. and we believe that electric mobility will be the next future so we are yeah. trying to to make it uh, part of the history to have a legacy, as Stephen Covey was teaching indeed, me. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Wow. Well, as that progresses, we'd love to have you back and chat a little more about how things are going along with Alter Power and mini electrical cars and uh, and, the, and the progression of the industry as you see it. Arturo, it's just such a joy <laughs> and an honor to have you. I on appreciate. The show. I, yeah. I appreciate your thank you. Thank you for your, your time. time and thank you for sharing with us. This has been fun. Thank you, Nico. Always a pleasure. I know you for many years, and I, I think you are becoming also much more human and professional. Uh, Thank you. I try to become more human. Every Thank day. you. I appreciate that. <laughs> That's important. Okay. <laughs> That's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warriors, and you're now well-armed for battle. Hopefully, you'll take away some great tools for your own success. I'd love it if you'd share what you learned or share the episode over on LinkedIn. Let me know what other tools you need. If you want to sharpen the axe a little bit more, I've shared some of the resources we discussed in today's conversation over at mysuncast.com. Just click on the latest episode link in the title bar. Perhaps the best tool in your arsenal might be subscribing to the mailing list while you're there so that you'll get an email from yours truly when new content is available. Have a suggestion for someone you think should join the conversation? Email me, nico at mysuncast.com or shoot me a message on LinkedIn. Hey, that's it. Thanks for being here. Until next time, stay informed, my friend, and stay tuned.